I will not be afraid because that's godless. You can't let the fear of overstepping keep you paralyzed. You've got to step into the breach. And I'm not going to be lazy and I'm not going to be spineless and I'm not going to be tentative in my duties. I've got to go for it because God has given me this responsibility and being a man means receiving responsibility and executing my duties. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Mark, first thing is, what's gas like there? How much does gas cost? Gas is about $4.80, which, man, that hurts given that I'm getting close to packing up the car and driving it to Texas. Oh, do you know of any, will there be a cheap state between those two points? I've been told that it's over $4 everywhere. Yeah. That's that's my assumption. I it was less last time I was in Dallas a couple months ago, it was a lot less than it is here, but it's still going to be pricey. How about well, how about in Cincinnati? It, it's about the same. Get? It's about the same. Okay. It's been a while since we uh spoke in this format and it's going to be probably another month before this airs, but I have to review the way the NBA's going before it's over. What, okay. are, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I'm I, I can't root against those Warriors because they're a likable bunch. And I know that you're a likable bunch if you play the Mavericks and I still don't hate you at the end. Yeah. Like usually I can start hating even the the pretty good guys by the end of yeah. a series with my Mavericks. Yeah. Um that's how I knew I wasn't really a jazz fan. Is because <laughs> I always thought Mavericks first, Jazz second, and I'll root for them. At the end of that series, I was like, I just don't like any of these people. Uh huh. But the Warriors, I still kind of like, you know, you can't root against that Steph Curry. Last night's right. game was a shocker. Uh, it was a shocker. And Vegas now has swapped odds and says Boston's going to win this series. Well, so. statistics say game one matters an awful lot. Right. So I don't. I don't know. I will say I'm not wrapped by the drama of this series like I would be if it had sure somebody either a little bit more Cinderella-y. I mean, sure. both of these teams are very top of the food chain in their divisions. And it's yeah. kind of like, well, yeah. I kind of thought Boston and Golden State was a pretty good bet at the beginning of the season. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I vaguely hope Golden State wins although they've already won a lot, so it's not going to be some great breakthrough if they do. And I vaguely hope that Boston doesn't. And if they do, it will be keeping with traditions. You know, it's like, okay. And if, if Boston wins, I will, I will, in my mind, say I am celebrating for Al Horford. Of, of course. Because he, that no, guy... He, he's likable. Great dude, humble once superstar turned into role player and I believe Jesus lover too is what I've heard yeah he is a Jesus lover I was with Adam and my friend Paul 
and we were commenting, there's something about that owl. I, maybe we knew this in the back of our minds and had forgotten it. There's, there's something about that guy. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a Jesus lover. And then I left before the game was over and then Adam texted everybody out that Al's first line after they won the game and put him on camera was, well, it's all because of the Lord that we're in this position in the first place, you know, something like that. And they're like, oh, well, of course, he's a great guy. I wanted to review for you and for the people uh, something that we had talked about uh, weeks ago but hadn't touched on it since it happened. And that was that our live workshop happened for our um, family vision statement where I went live, sat down with several families, started going through some content and then letting them build their family vision statement while I was giving live feedback to everybody. And um, it was, it was just, it was four hours together. It was a, Sun, it was sorry, it was a Saturday from like I'm guessing now, I'm not remembering very good, like from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. or something with a break for lunch. It was a it was a great time. Big hit. Uh, everybody effused about the value they were getting from um just focusing on who they are as a family and walking away with one. Um unity between spouses. Hey, this is, this is really us and feeling like they had some marching orders. So it was really fun. It went great. I wish everybody could do it. They could. I think everybody could do it. If they wanted to have a family vision statement at their church locale or whatever, you could email mark at abrahamswallet.com. That's true. I'm interested in this. Could you tell me more? And we can tell you how that might happen. Yeah, we could put it together for anybody, anywhere. I'm glad it went well. You were were in your element there. I knew that, you know, a lot of times when people call us and they say, what do you guys do? I say that really you need to get a little Steven in your life. Uh, A lot of our clients give stronger reviews than than me in terms (laughs) of one-on-one time ah. they're like you less talk from you you do money stuff ah. I, want to, I want to talk to the to the charismatic guy that's funny by the way i don't know what's happening on youtube but that video i made about prepping for recession is is unusually heavily viewed on youtube right now that's i i'm telling you that when when there's something that's topical and current eventy it goes good because you can speak knowledgeably to it and the people like it's like having their own little private guru that they can kind of refer to and wonder what Mark says about that. It's still by far our least popular channel, the YouTube, but yeah. it's it's interesting that the certain episodes pop on that platform. Yeah. But anyways, I was teasing in that episode that we want some reviews. I asked people to leave us reviews. No one did. So thanks a lot, listeners. Really? Um, yeah, no new reviews. Maybe they're just waiting. I'm going to just give you a, a taste of the reviews that we've gotten. And Stephen, I'm expecting that you haven't gone and read reviews, right? That is certainly the case. Okay. But before so you do, I have to say, I'm, I'm a little surprised at our people. I would have thought that if you encouraged them to leave some reviews, they would have hopped up there. But oh well. We- we had a few YouTube commenters, um, yes, but n- no reviewers, no new reviewers. Okay, maybe, 
Maybe our most diehard folks, they're just already giving us their reviews. I don't know. All right, spring, spring it on me. So this will be initial reactions. Title, very impressive podcast. Oh. Text, I have been very impressed by this podcast. This is a good title. and I the think bibli- they titled it perfectly based on the first sentence alone. Yeah. And the biblical ideas they discuss about money, finances, and inheritance. I even appreciate their dry sense of humor and storytelling oh. abilities. I was surprised to hear great discussions on other topics beyond money as well, including biblical and practical ideas about how to raise and lead a godly family. I'm 19 episodes in, started at number one, and I've loved what I've heard so far. I think my favorite episode to date is number four about tithing to the local church and their wise insights uncovering issues seldom talked about in Christian circles. Well done, gentlemen. Before you go on, I would never leave a review this long and detailed. I'm so impressed and, and pleased. Yeah, so... The only episode so far I disagreed with Uh-oh. and thought lacked creative ideas I've oh, come no. to expect from these guys is the 529 Education Plans episode. Uh, As settling for a lame 6 to 8% in a diversified mutual fund, even with compounding interest, is not the best way to prepare for college expenses for children or grandchildren. Warren Buffett calls mutual funds the place people put their money who don't know how to invest. But other than that one episode, I like these guys and hope to learn more from them along the way. How many stars do you think that got us out of five? Four. That's right. Four stars. Yeah. Because he, he it wasn't absolute praise. He, had a, he, he voiced a misgiving. Although I, I got to say 18 out of 19 is an A+. Plus. Oh, yeah. And especially he went back to the beginning and some of those were just me reading the blog. And to be honest, guys, they were not good. Oh, they were not very exciting. Come now. The blog is powerful. Just because we're here, I'll I'll have to respond and say, okay, six six to eight percent returns are very powerful and (laughs) and make you into an unbelievably wealthy person. Yeah, that's true. The thing with return on investment is that there really is a risk adjusted rate of return. And it's about the same, no matter what you invest Mm. in. You can make 50% returns in your business, but you're taking a big risk by starting a business and you need to get paid for that. So people who are good at starting and running a business, they're going to get big returns. Um, We're not fans of anyone who would poo-poo the 6 to 8% get rich Uh, like an ant, build slowly. Forever. Yeah. We, we appreciate this review. We just throw a little bit of dry, our sense of humor and say, maybe, you know, you will eventually mature to the point where you can appreciate a six to 8% return too. Yes. These guys will wreck and help you rebuild the way you view family and inheritance. Whoa. That's the kind of radical headline that gives me the fireworks that I deserve. Yeah, it's good, except for there were a couple of guys that came to us to the podcast and they already viewed family in a very healthy biblical way and we wrecked it. And now they are living on the streets, I think. No, Uh. my scope is no longer fixed on making enough to pay bills every month or how much do we need where we can live comfortably. I'm now looking at how my time, attention, work, play, and spend will impact the kingdom and my family for multiple generations. That's awesome. Soak it all in, bosses. That's the last (laughs) one. I love it. Yeah. 
that's a five star review right there. We could go through a bunch of these. Let me read a let me read a bad one. I said that we got a bad one. Generally, I like this podcast and find it helpful. But I okay, so we're putting this into the context of generally liking it. So I'm going to believe that until proven otherwise. But I found the latest episode on praying for Supreme Court ruling pretty insensitive. Uh oh. The strong opinions from two privileged males. Is that capitalized? No. Is it in quotes? No. Italicized? Okay. It's said with a straight face. Okay. At least the text is. Is read with emphasis. On something that is highly debated, even within the Christian community, as to what is truly biblical, and a very sensitive topic for women in general comes across as pretty insensitive and ignorant, especially categorizing women as seeking abortions for, quote, selfish convenience. Whoa. Sharing this point of view makes us... Hard-hitting review. mm -hmm. Sharing this point of view makes us question credibility across the board and the level of misogyny that might cloud judgment. So this person referred to themselves as an us? Um, It makes us question judgment? Yes. Or maybe he's sitting there with three or four people and they're jointly writing a review. Yeah, or maybe they're assuming that they're speaking for the majority of our audience. Maybe so. We, we are offended. Well, Two stars. I'm holding, you know, we're told to hold on to the good. So I'm holding on to the generally like them aspect. We have a, we have a very unique, I, it might not be unique. It might be something everybody feels, but to me, it feels strange that we have a relationship with our audience such that we want to give you technical, practical help and I hope you hear, you'll certainly hear it today. I'm interested in your hearts as well, because you can mechanically do the right things with a bad heart and leave the Lord displeased. So I feel that some pastoral work is uh, appropriate for people who do what we do, which is to communicate regularly with people and try to give them some kind of spiritual counsel. And... Boy, I, it seems uh, right down the middle to me to say, let's pray for babies and let's pray for judges who are making decisions about babies' lives. So I know that, that uh, just to address the, the review, I know that the subject is debated <clears throat> in, in circles that call themselves Christian. I, I know that. And that's one of the reasons that I'm going to to jump into the fray on that because many Christians are not grounded in God's word and they don't have a Christian worldview. Matter of fact, I don't know if you saw some, uh, an article that I threw up on the base camp this morning. Do you even look at that? I do once in a while, yeah. Okay, well, I threw an article up on this uh it's kind, of a, it's kind of a Slack group that Mark and I are a part of. A recent study uh, demonstrated that it's something like 49% of all senior pastors, when they take a survey, come out as having a biblical worldview. Would you like to have a guess, Mark, at what percentage of youth ministers have what is scored as a biblical worldview? My hint is that it's less than 49%. Yeah, I would guess in the 27% range. It's 12%. 
of all youth ministers have a biblical worldview. My, my point is that uh, because something is contested in Christian world doesn't mean that uh, it's contested in historical Christianity. Um, similarly, just because most Christians would vote one way or the other, or because they would have a collective cultural opinion, doesn't mean that it's um, actually up for debate, whether something comes from the scripture as being accurate or whether the church historically interprets the Bible to say specific things. So I'll just say it's a completely new and very specific to our day and age that, that the church doesn't seem to know where to land on this issue. And I think prayer is the correct response uh, to the issue. So you were far more diplomatic than I would have been in your response to this review. So, well, awesome. you'll notice there wasn't an apology in that explanation anywhere. Of course not. I chortle a bit at assumptions of how someone's sort of socioeconomic status or racial status or gender status should impact their uh, ability to sort of speak truths that we find in the word of God. Hallelujah. Amen. um, That's point number one. And point number two. Excellent. Excellent This is for us, not an issue that's actually debatable at all. No. Um, This is an issue that my family puts a lot of time, effort, and money towards. I'm sure there's people who debate it. Uh, I just think they're wrong. On All right, this is fun. Do you have any more critical reviews? Uh, there's one from a long time ago. Let's see. Mr. Money Mustache Meets the Bible. I liked that. Uh, but yeah, I'm not that's good. Read it. I've heard of this podcast through Dad's Building Teams. Thank you, Jeremy Pryor and Jeff Bethke. Um, and even heard the episode with Mark. The show is good, and Mark is obviously a smart dude. I think we could just stop the review right there. Yeah, that's an excellent point that they've made. I don't know what's coming on the heels of that, but wow, strong language, smart (laughs) dude. Matter of fact, you could put that on your address. You could have Mark Parrott, comma, obviously smart dude. That would be good. Put that Um, on your LinkedIn profile. It's why you should look at the YouTube channel because you can just look at us and go, obviously. Obviously. But please, just talk. Stop reading the blog for the show. The episodes that involve casual talking are much more enjoyable. I want to learn more through this (laughs) podcast, but it's hard for me to pay attention when I'm being read to because it doesn't translate very well. Oh. Three stars. (laughs) Three stars. Uh, We learned from that. See, if you're out there thinking, man, there's something these guys could do better, you could leave us a a medium review and we might change because I stopped reading the blogs after that that came along. You know, it'd be even more effective. Leave us a five-star review, then write us an email sharing your criticism. Boy, would we pay attention to that one. And the, the mega awesome channel of user feedback would be to write us a five-star review, make some flattering comments, not only about our intellects, but also about our physical appearance. <laughs> yeah. And then join the volley channel and you could even, you could gather a quorum of people that would all come together in a volley and speak to us and say, as a group, we feel 
that you guys need to talk more yeah. about how to depreciate livestock. And we've yes. never got an episode on that. And yeah, right. So whatever it is, it may not it may not be related to hog farming at all. But whatever your financial issue is that you feel like we've squandered, then you could you could address that grievance on the volley panel. What a banter section. Man, if they're still listening, then they must be committed fans at this point. They love it. They love it. What do you mean? (laughs) There's a this was all a big drum roll for what's to come. I think the one of the the impacts of reading reviews that somebody took time, whether they were angry or happy or whatever, to write us reviews is that it made me go, wow, we, we really have a responsibility here with, oh, the, with this podcast that we've well said, been Mark. blessed to, to host for the past few years. Well said. Well, I know that the topic has already been given away by the title, which it, you might, which you, I'm sure you saw when you pressed the little button, the little triangle that means play this thing. But I want to focus on something which is such a basic worldview-shaping concept that it merits being called out on its own. Um, God often, usually, almost always instructs us in specifics. Um, he says things like, honor your father and mother, and he says, do not condemn. But there's an underlying principle that's often illustrated, but rarely called out specifically. And that underlying bedrock principle is being eroded in American culture today, like I've never seen before. And if you don't get your head around it, your whole house is going to collapse around you. It has civic, family, church, and political consequences, and we can't jettison it to the spirit of the age. We have to hold on to it and champion it and protect it. And that is the idea of responsibility. Responsibility. It's some of the code that runs in the background of when we're talking about, say, budgeting, where we're assuming that there's something running in the background of somebody's mind, which is, oh, I have to be responsible. I have to take responsibility. I just wanted us to take a moment to to call it out as being very valuable precious to us, something that we find sacred, something that we want to throw our arms around, and also to hand off to our children the concept of responsibility. As we've talked about things like inheritance, we're assuming that this is is being developed in ourselves and in our children. We, We have talked at length to say that if you hand gobs of money to somebody that does not have self-control, responsibility, a a broad worldview, a charitable heart, et cetera, you're going to destroy them with money. And and responsibility, as I said, is one of these key um, foundation stones to building a successful life. So I I thought um, before I sort of opine on it, I'm going to do what I am want to do with any topic, which is look to the scriptures. Right? Good choice. Okay. And I figure if we want to know how God was thinking about this concept very early on, we could go right back to, I think, a very good book for looking at foundations, basics, Genesis. So looking right at the beginning of the story, we see that God makes this guy, Adam, out of nothing. 
And God never says, now I'm going to give you responsibility, Adam, and here's how it's going to work. And responsibility is when you take ownership of this thing and you're going to make sure that it's seen through to the end. Do you know what that, you know, he doesn't do any of that. He just starts handing responsibility to Adam. The, the first thing before any words are spoken that we can, that we're aware of between them, the first thing that happens is that God puts Adam in the garden. Uh, chapter two, verse 15 says to tend it and keep it. Now, uh, I would like to recommend a book um, that goes into great detail about this. It's a, it's a book called Masculine Christianity. And in masculine Christianity, um, there is a great dive into what exactly are these words to tend and keep the garden. Well, I'll just cut to the chase and say, basically, to serve, to serve and work it is the best way to describe tend, to tend the garden, serve it and work it. And to keep the garden, the best word to, to translate that because it, this word is used elsewhere in scripture. That same word is used when it says that later the angels did this thing and kept everybody out with swords, with these blazing swords. And the word translated there is guard. And so the author says that's really the best word that we could use for this keeping. How does Adam keep the garden? He guards it. He gives watch care over the whole proceedings. He works it, he serves it, and he gives guardianship over the um, garden. So Adam's relationship with the land was the responsibility of working, serving, and guarding it. Adam is given responsibility, as I say, for this land that he's going to be put in charge of. Then the first words that ever transpire between God and man happen. Do you know what the first thing God ever said to humans is? Oh, you're quizzing me. Not off the top of my head. Okay. Ch take a stab. Name the animals? No, he never said that. Uh, I, I'm sitting in front of a computer and I'm resisting the urge to Google, but okay. just tell me. The first thing he said was, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the first thing said to Adam, pretty practical thing. Let me tell you how the food situation is going to work here, Adam. Who was responsible for making sure that Adam stayed alive? Adam was. If he, I don't know, jumped off of a cliff. I don't know that there were cliffs. I was just, you know what? While we're talking about creation, I'll throw out, there's a great show on Amazon Prime right now called The Days of Noah. And it's a three-part thing really good. And, and these smart guys um, opine about what the world was like before the flood. And one thing that they think is that there weren't like rocky crags that were freezing cold that wouldn't sustain life, nor were there burning hot deserts that would kill you. That every mountain was lush and verdant and sloping and you could farm anywhere. I think that's very interesting. Anyhow, you know, there's some really good content out there from guys who have speculated on similar stuff and even asked the question. This is why I, I kind of pestered you earlier in the episode about seven-day creation. I actually okay. think there's there's interesting 
uh, genetic data that says all of the human genome that's in existence today can be tracked back to two individual humans. And the, the rate of spread suggests that it's about 10,000 years prior that the original two happened. However, the guy that was doing this research was not a 10,000-year-old Earth guy. He was a very, very old Earth guy and said that his take, as he read the scriptures, was that there was a legitimate Adam and Eve and that there was also the world outside the garden um, that, that was different. And anyways, I, I thought it was interesting. Maybe I'll, I'll send you a link to this podcast because they seemed to be very biblically interested in fidelity to the scriptures. Right. And they had come under severe attack for these opinions from guys like Francis Collins, who says if you say anything that sounds like not being a full blast evolutionist, then we are uninterested in, in associating with you. So kind of interesting. I think there's room for Christians to have really broad discussions about how to interpret Genesis um, uh, in terms of the science. I don't know why you started me down that path. But, uh, maybe I'm rambling now. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Adam took, had, had this responsibility um, which I'll, I'll name in a second. But when, when he's told, now here's how you stay alive and here's how you die. Don't do that thing because you die if you do. I can't help but think of the, the longest time in scripture when God does this thing and he's very explicit in going into details with his people and that's Deuteronomy 28. And this is the famous uh, choose life or death passage when God describes the blessings he's going to give his people if they will uh, stay true to his word. And that's, uh, for what it's worth, Deuteronomy 28, 3 through 13. Now, I'm about to blow your minds. Just keep in mind, that's 10 verses. If you do what I say, 10 verses of blessing. And then verses 16 through 68, that's 52 verses are giving to the curses if you don't do what I say. Everything spins out of control. That's why there's a whole bunch more descriptions of unhealthy people than there are healthy people. Because healthy people are all the same. But unhealthy people can go into any permutation of weirdness and wickedness because it's out of God's plan. And in, in Deuteronomy 28, we're told, do this, and it goes great for you. Don't do this. Here's all the mess. You're opening the world, a door into a world of, of hurt. And he summarizes that uh, later on in Deuteronomy 30, verses 19. And he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. He's commanded, choose life, so that both you and your descendants may live. And, and certainly Jesus reiterates the theme of this responsibility, which is dire. I mean, it's, it's life and death, right? Right from the very beginning with Adam, this responsibility is dire. It's the responsibility of obedience. That's the responsibility of obedience. So right at the beginning, Adam is given the responsibility to work, to guard um, that which is put under his care, and to serve it. And then he's given the responsibility next of obedience. You have to obey me or you die. Now, 
we have to enculturate those same responsibilities into ourselves, that we would be guardians, that we'd be workers, that we'd be servants of the thing that God's put in front of us, and that we have the responsibility of obedience. So we have to, we have to develop those things in ourselves and we have to develop them in our family so that everybody on our downline has these, uh, receives these responsibilities as well. Next thing that happens in uh, Genesis 2 is God says, I'm going to make you a helper. And something very interesting, I don't know why it works this way, but God says, I'm going to make you a helper. And Adam must have thought, what's it? Okay, what? I don't know what, exactly what you're talking about. And then after he says that, he proceeds to make all the animals. And then he gives Adam a responsibility there, which is? Naming. He names them all. And by the way, in masculine Christianity, he also describes the fact that by naming all of the animals, there's an insinuated hierarchy and Adam is above all of the animals because he names them. He, he actually tells them what they are in the same way that God told him what he was. And he gives this, this kind of creating, um, lordship, this, this identity responsibility to Adam over the animals. So he, 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 he has this responsibility. I'm just going to call it lead creation. So we do have a responsibility uh, to the earth. We have a responsibility to animals around us to care for them because we are God's representatives in this earth. He is God's ambassador. He's God's envoy into the, into the uh, natural world. Do you say envoy or envoy? Envoy would be my pronunciation. All right. Um, of course, that language that we are God's ambassadors, that's reiterated in the New Testament as well. That's us. That's us. So I'm, I'm trying to make this list as we go. Working, serving, guarding, the responsibility of obedience, the responsibility to lead creation. And then he, his helper is made. And guess what Adam does toward her? He names her same way that he did with the uh, animals. He names her. He says, she'll be called woman for she's taken out of man. And, um, Later, we see that he names her Eve, which is the mother of the living, because I'm guessing that when he first looked at her, he didn't know, oh, life comes out of her. And then he, he named her Eve because he was like, that's an amazing, incredible responsibility that she has. So when he names her, I feel like he's agreeing with God, the responsibility that God has given him over her. And I, there's something that happens there that where he has the responsibility of a husbanding and by extension, family leadership. So this is a, and just in these, just in this one chapter, I mean, we're, we're talking about 15 or 20 verses. The definition of humanity is established. That's why it's so good to go back to the origins of when God made us and started defining his relationship with us. So we know why we're here and what we're supposed to do. So all of these things are here. And then this amazing thing happens in uh, Genesis 3, this famous moment of him falling down on the job. And I just want you to consider this list when we consider the irresponsibility of Adam in the fall as Eve eats fruit that the serpent recommends to her and then Adam participates in it. Just consider these responsibilities. He neglected his husbanding job. Yes? Yes. He neglected his family leadership job. 
He fell down on his obedience responsibility. He fell down on the responsibility to lead creation. Again, I'm referring, I'm sorry, it's just on my mind right now. I'm going back to masculine Christianity where he, he suggests um, if Adam's job was to guard and watch over the uh, garden, he should have destroyed the serpent. He should have found this is someone who is opposed to God's plans. He should have sought him out and destroyed him before the conversation with Eve ever happened. Because one thing that's interesting about that conversation is that Eve doesn't say, whoa, what's this? A serpent that's talking to me? There must have been some previous knowledge of some kind of relationship with a talking animal or maybe this specific serpent, whatever. But he starts coming out and have a conversation with her. And she starts, she just takes it at face value and starts moving with it. Well, if he was known previously, then Adam should have destroyed him. So he falls down on the responsibility of leading creation, which he wasn't, he wasn't doing. He let this, this uh, miscreant uh, operate freely. He wasn't working and serving and guarding and he wasn't being God's representative on earth. He, he fell in all of his responsibilities in that moment. Okay, just, just one more thing and we'll move on from, from Genesis account. After the fall, God's first words to Adam were, do you know those? This is, I'm just going to pull up Genesis for the remainder of the podcast because. <laughs> I'm not trying to out you, but you're a good test case of somebody who's, you know. Is it what have you done? No, very close. It's um, where are you? Okay. Where are you? And I see, I mean, I could, I could just be uh, guessing here. Maybe I'm grasping at straws, but I see there's a truth and a lie built into everything that Eve saw in that fruit. And once she said, well, this is good for food. And she kind of lusted after it and she wanted it. She want, Now, it, it was good for food. That's true. But there was a craving in her to satisfy herself physically that wasn't godly. And she, and she overstepped God's uh, law um, to, please her, to please her physical desire. Similarly, there was a truth and a lie to you will be like God and you will know the difference between good and evil. Well, that's true, actually. There was a veil lifted from their eyes that was never supposed to have been lifted. We were never supposed to be savvy about evil. We were never supposed to know what sin even feels like. And, and by the way, I'm just going to hang this on the line. You take it down if you're interested in it. But there's something really precious about preserving innocence in your children because they're not supposed to have the knowledge of evil. And one of the most consternating comments I ever hear come out of a parent's mouth is they're going to hear it eventually. They're going to see it eventually. So they, we might as well expose our eight-year-old to a rated R movie because they're going to see violence. They're going to hear bad words. They're going to see sexual whatever happen in front of them eventually. I just want to slap somebody and go, you're falling down on the job because you have responsibility to guard, to protect, and the innocence that existed in Adam and Eve was God's design. And so when the, when the serpent says, you're going to know, yeah, you'll know some stuff that you couldn't know otherwise. Well, he's right. She did know some stuff that she couldn't know otherwise, and she wasn't actually supposed to know that stuff. But I, I'm saying all that to say something happened to their 
mindset and to their purity after the fall. And so within the new, the new space that they were in after the fall, God gave Adam these, these responsibilities that I don't think he had before. So he says, kind of, where, where are you? And in that question, I hear that he, he is giving Adam the responsibility to, if you'll let me extrapolate from, know where he is. So there's a kind of discernment and a kind of, wait, the kind of work that we do now, which is, has the culture taken me over yet? What, what am I doing? I've, I find myself, I'll speak for myself, this just happened to me recently. I find myself playing this, uh, this golf game on an iPad, and I, I never planned on doing that. And now I find myself seeking out, I'm going back to it because I know I'll have a special reward waiting for me after three hours. And I was like, whoa, what has happened to me? So I threw that away, got rid of this stupid game. But that's the kind of where are you question. Do you, are your wits about you? Do you know what's happening around you? So God puts that responsibility on Adam. And the second was he expected him to, to disclose with honesty and integrity. So there wasn't any such thing as, as lack of integrity <clears throat> before. There was no such thing as deception. When God told him, work this land, Adam went, okay, I guess I'll work the land. Okay, you're going to be a husband here. Uh, okay, I guess I'll be a husband. But now after the fall, there's the possibility of deception. There's the possibility of laziness. There's the possibility of dishonesty. There's a possibility of being deceived. And so he, he asks him, where are you? And, he, and he's asking him for his discernment and for his integrity. I'm done. I'm done with the Genesis account. You, you have any thoughts before I go on? I, I definitely have thoughts. I mean, even when you said that parenting, we, we could maybe hand wave some of those responsibilities and say, well, they're eventually going to get exposed to this. So why not now? I think that there's implications there for all sorts of scenarios. It's not just, I don't think many of our listeners are putting rated R movies in front of their small children. Maybe I'm wrong, but they might be putting <laughs> rated R teachers in front of their small children. Yeah, you're right. Thinking about it. I think it's an interesting question because it's not super easily answered when you're living in <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah of today's culture. Like how much of this do I explain? How much of it do I block out completely or try to? I don't know if you're going to go there in this responsibility episode or if I'm just teasing a future <laughs> on how much to shield your children. No, I'm not touching on that, but it's a point well taken. I, I, I did realize while you were talking that um, much like my uh, father of the flesh, Adam, I lied. I, I, I'm not done with the Genesis account. I want to make two more observations. Do you remember what Adam said when, when God asked him, where are you? I, what I want to simply say here, I'm not going to get any deeper than this. This is as good as it gets for the whole episode. Ready? Responsibility is from God and our sinful response to responsibility that God rightfully offers to us is often fear. That's what Adam did in the face of, I'm giving you the responsibility of telling me who, who you are, where you are, and give me an honest and forthright disclosure about that. And Adam comes back with fear. Is the first time fear had ever existed on planet earth and already it's doing its work. 
and and it is shielding it, it it is i mean it shouldn't be but this is the way that it works mechanically is that it shields adam from the responsibility that god has put on him fear is often the mechanism that we use to jettison responsibility and i just want to say that all of us myself included we should repent we should repent of fear you know, do not fear is the most reiterated command in all of the Bible. And that's part and parcel with accepting responsibility. And that's, that's a huge function of manhood. I hope I have demonstrated it's absolutely necessary to leading your home. So I want to go on a little bit. Jordan Peterson is a psychologist who writes books, and he often talks about the relationship between responsibility and meaning, just having meaning in your life. He, he, what he says is that if you have no meaning in your life, you have no responsibility. So I'm going to quote him directly. Meaning is actually the instinct that helps you guide yourself through catastrophe. That is, so trouble's happening around you and you think, well, God's doing this to, to make me more like Jesus so I can accept this tragedy. If there's no meaning behind it, we're lost. You go into bitterness uh, very quickly and then you become cruel. That's just how life works. Sorry, meaning is actually instinct that helps you guide yourself through catastrophe. And most of that meaning is to be found in the adoption of responsibility. When you think about the times when you're at peace with how you're conducting yourself in the world, it's almost always conditions under which you've adopted a responsibility. The most guilt I think that you can experience is the sure knowledge that you're not even taking care of yourself so that you're leaving that responsibility to other people. That's pathetic because you're not living up to your full potential. You're not only not being who you could be, you're interfering with someone else being who they could be. So not only you're not only a void, you're a drain. You admire yourself or you can at least live with yourself when you're taking responsibility because it settles your conscience down. Don't you think that's an interesting observation? Yeah, I mean, as you talk, I'm thinking this sounds a very Jordan Peterson-y. Yeah, yeah, of course. I went to a psychologist because I think there's something so basic to the, even the way that we see ourselves, and it, and it has a relationship with responsibility. You would never think of somebody as a guy. Oh, that's a good dude. That's a guy I admire. If if he's not taking significant responsibility on himself and handled that responsibility so deftly that you go, man, this this guy's something else. It's certainly why. Well, this is Jordan Peterson again. He often talks about the way that we look at um, athletes and we admire them because they're taking a huge amount of responsibility and disciplining themselves against that, against that responsibility. There's a documentary that's just come out. It's a mini part series on Magic Johnson. And I started watching it last weekend with my wife. I'm interested. That's my era of basketball. And Holy cow, you know, there, we just don't know much about these people's private lives, but we're, you watch this documentary, you realize he sacrificed his marriage. He sacrificed friendships. He sacrificed his whole life just because he, he's like anybody. He's like Michael Jordan or anybody else, just because he wanted to feel great, be great at basketball. And he took this responsibility that, that eclipsed all other responsibilities in his life. And we would say he got things out of order, 
But it's, it's just interesting that that kind of shouldering responsibility makes us admire these people. Like you, you look at Michael Jordan and go, well, he's a terrible person. Okay, that's fine. But wow, he's amazing. And it, 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 there, we put people in this special category. Why put him in this category? Well, because he's, he took, a, he took a weird responsibility. But as I said at the beginning, it should be champion in its own right. It's so foundational to being a business leader or a church leader or a family leader or even just a friend. Responsibility is key to being a friend. And, and I just, and I want to call out when I say leader, I don't mean the guy that's running everything. I don't mean the guy that's running everything. I mean just someone who stands on their own two feet. And I respect guys like that who just, they just take care of their stuff. And they, well, if I have a family to take care of, I'm going to take responsibility for it. Or they'll say, sorry, I can't do that thing because I'm, ha- I have to do this thing. Sorry, we didn't finish our order for this customer. So I can't come to the social tonight because we didn't finish, you know, just taking responsibility. This is what I esteem in guys. Um, so I, I'm not going to go through all five capitals and list responsibilities, although that's an interesting exercise. I just thought for our listeners, we could just talk about home and dough because those are our big buckets. So I'm just Great. thinking, what are the responsibilities? And maybe you could brainstorm with me on this, but what are the responsibilities that we think that are that an Abrahamic leader has? And I'm, so I'm thinking of things like, well, um, it's my job to train my children in godliness. That's, that's my responsibility. Nobody else is going to do that. That's been given to me to do. Yes. I, I was going to say the first two things that come to my mind are my wife and my kids. I yep. think you're right. Training children, yep. eventually discipling children. Yep. Number two, though, or maybe number one, <laughs> is how, how I take care of my wife. And, yep. you know, I am notorious amongst my guys for the controversial statement that when your wife is racked by anxiety, like many people have been in the past few years, um, that's, that's your responsibility as husband to figure out how to get that sorted. Um, it yeah. doesn't mean it's always your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yes. Agreed. So I would say, I'm just quoting Ephesians five here, that it's our responsibility to lay down our lives for our wives so that they can blossom in a Proverbs 31 direction. And the ability to take on responsibility um, also connotes a, a, a certain degree of health and emotional and mental health and physical health. So, um, yeah, as you said, those are the top two things that come to mind. Um it's my responsibility to keep my thought life and my on life, online life pure because I'm trying to protect and guard over what's God, God's given. It also came to mind. I'll just call out. How about initiating sex with your wife? That's one of the responsibilities that I have in my home. If I just want to keep my home healthy, how about overseeing the running of the home. There's a, a whole bunch of things under that yard work, the physical upkeep of the house, ensuring the Bible is read together. Some kind of family worship happens. Vision and values are articulated and taught. 
some kind of entertainment slash laziness oversight, making sure that that stays away from our house, that it want, we want our house to be a place of rest. But we, we have to guard against there being um, a God of laziness in our home. So I'm just thinking of all the things that, that we assume guys are taking responsibility for. Anything else come to mind? No, I was just going to expand a little bit on kind of, I, I think this was couched in, in terms of wife, but it, you could think of it as the whole household. My friend Brian put up something on Twitter this week that got lots and lots of people angry. And the tweet said, men, if you want a productive Christian household, make sure you give your wife the resources she needs to succeed. Does she have enough money? Is the kitchen space enough? Do you give her your time? Are you bringing joyful leadership? Don't demand bricks without straw. So there's these places that maybe aren't the direct uh, mandate of the husband inside a household, like some of those things that, that I went through, like, you know, uh, there's mother roles that can only be successfully executed when the straw, if you will, is provided to the person who's specifically assigned for that task. I'm trying to guess why, why people got angry. Was it because he used slave terminology in referring to his wife? Um, I don't think people on Twitter that are angry at kind of pro patriarchy tweeters are, uh, versed enough in, in to know that that was a reference to slavery. I think even saying is the kitchen space enough makes an assumption that a wife would be in the kitchen. Oh boy. Okay. Moving on to dough. We would assume these are the responsibilities that our, our guys take. Okay. They, they accept the mantle of a steward, that's, I'm just saying this as a general. They accept that job description. They take responsibility for the money, like the good guy in the parable of the talents. You're handed some money. You go, I got it. Okay, I'm going to do my best here. So under that heading, again, I'm just speaking very generally. You would take the responsibility that I've been given some money to care for, and I need to make more of it. And that can mean making it into more money, like using some money to make more money, or it can be use, using that money to make more of the four other capitals to, yes. make, to make something with it, right? You got to send it out one way or another. Yeah, that's right. You can't, you can't just sit on it or eat it all. Um, so this includes budgeting your income and living on less than you take in. Yeah, I was going to say, we can get very specific. It is your responsibility to ensure that your household whether that's just you or whether it's a multi-generational household of 50 people, that they are not spending more than they're making, which sets you completely apart from most people you cross in normal American life. Living in the black. All right. Living as a giver and investing in opportunities that you seek out. That's, that's being a giver. That's good because I think sometimes even our family has slipped into the mentality of we have a conviction around the amount we want to set aside for giving, but we can kind of go, well, Lord, we'll give it whenever you bring an opportunity and stick it so close Same. in front of our face that we can't ignore it. Yep. And I like that, that seeking out the generosity opportunities. Yes. Is a part of it. Saving and investing for future expansion. 
It's one of our responsibilities that we take. Um, this came to mind, finding dependable counselors slash mentors slash partners um, to help you along this way to, to that you can lock arms with. Hopefully those that share your worldview, um, but in all the places that you are deficient in understanding to seek out, um, to seek out help. I, I, I assume that you see Abraham's wallet as one of those counselors, which we're, we're, we love that responsibility. That can be really easy. If you happen to find yourself in the midst of a bunch of awesome dudes, it can be challenging at times. So I don't know. We could do a whole, we could do a whole episode on how to find wise counselors. Okay. Uh, under this same responsibility of dough in your home has to be that you're guarding against all kinds of greed and the love of money. And I don't just mean in yourself. I mean, in your household, that if you see it in your wife, you're going to put a hand on a shoulder and say, I think that's a little bit far for us. You see it in a child and you go, I think we have enough candy to last us. Just that, that greed thing, you are the guard and you take responsibility to be the guardian for it. <laughs> it's funny because my kids, we're not really car people in our house. Um, my father-in-law was really into cars. He, he would always have road and track magazines around. Uh-huh. He, he was not a greedy person, but he, he really liked cars of all sorts. But for some reason, my children are very interested in cars. <laughs> and you remember Blake, who we had on the podcast? Runs sure. drop, drop detailing. Detail um, extraordinaire. They had their 10-year anniversary celebration recently, and we went to it, and he got all his high-roller clients to bring their cars. Oh, my word. And these guys love talking to each other, so they were just like delighted to get their cars together in a parking lot. There was all manner of cool stuff there. There was the new Bronco that somebody had jacked up, and it was all (laughs) crazy. And there was Lamborghini. Anyways, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is going through the exhibit and, you know, there's a brand new Corvette. And she's like, Dad, that's the new Corvette. That's such and such model. And I'm like, that's weird that you know that. But okay, that's the Corvette. And then she starts naming off, that's a Lamborghini Urus. It's the SUV. It's got a V12, blah, blah, blah. And I start going, huh, this is strange. And then she starts naming off Porsches that are not production models. And I said, where in the world are you getting this? And to your point... I actually sort of had to stop and go, are my kids, uh, like, I, I don't mind if they're interested in sure. mechanical stuff or things like that. I don't love that we would obsess over luxury vehicles to the point that we know all of them and things like that. So I actually don't think there was a deep seated greed inside of the kids but I do think it was an opportunity as uh, the one responsible for keeping that of course fence high around my family that we sat down and we said like, can we just talk about where you came up with all this knowledge and like, wh- what's, what's the goal here? Like, would we, would we spend money on a vehicle like that? Probably not right now. Um, yeah. And so it was, it was an interesting opportunity and, it's fun in a sense when your kids get old enough that they like know way more than you about something that you didn't right. realize they could know more than you about at that age. So anyways, 
just an example. It's a great example of you got to keep your eye on the ball and you have to be discerning as you're hearing her talk. What's the heart behind that? Why does she know that information? Do I want to feed that thing? Is it a curiosity? Is this going to turn into some glorified hobby for her? Or is there something grabby in her heart? And you got to keep, you got to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening there. I, I will say that Blake, the business owner, saw this happening and saw how she, her knowledge was. And he goes, hmm, hey, Mark, do you mind if I grab her for a second? I'm going to go try to sell one of these guys on a $10,000 detail job coding. It's a big, big deal. And I'd like her to hear how I make a sales pitch to wow. one of these guys. And I said, heck yeah. So that's cool. Um, that was pretty fun too, that somebody that we're close with as a family saw that and said, well, maybe we're not going to feed the greed thing, but I do want to show her like, Hey, we can, we can serve people who are into this and we can actually make money for our families. And I want yeah. you to see how, how a business deal gets done in that's this great. world. The last thing I have in this list of dough responsibilities, and as I said, we talk about this when we talk about inheritance, is that I have to train everyone on my downline to think the way that I've just described about money, that they too would take on these responsibilities, that they would would keep a, a guard out for greed, et cetera, et cetera. So we got a big, we've got a big list there that we've made of your home and dough responsibilities. So I just want to say this and I'll, and I'll close. I know many men who shrug their shoulders in the face of difficulties, challenges, or things that you feel that you have failed at under your own roof. And you hear things like, well, I guess we just have kids who disobey or kids who backtalk or kids who don't help out. Or, well, I guess we're just going to blow the budget again. Or, well, my wife and I will just operate as roommates, I guess. Love doesn't really seem to be an option at this time. And I want to say that all of those feelings and statements are godless sentiments. And they, they are out to destroy you. Don't let those kind of words come out of your mouth. Don't even let them linger in your brain. I would call it lust when you, when you let those sit there and you just kind of ruminate on them. It's a kind of a fantasy lust to fantasize not having the responsibilities that you have. We don't talk that way. Abrahamic leaders don't think that way. We don't talk that way. We say things like, I will step into the breach at whatever the cost is. I will not be afraid because that's godless. I won't be afraid of of getting rejected again or shot down or failing with my kids or overstepping. Oh, I don't want them to think I overstepped. Well, you can overstep. But you can't let the fear of overstepping keep you paralyzed. You, you've got to step into the breach. And I'm not going to be lazy, and I'm not going to be spineless, and I'm not going to be tentative in my duties. I've got to go for it because uh, God has given me this responsibility. And being a man means receiving responsibility and executing my duties. So I've got two little goodbye verses, and then I'm, I'm dropping the mic. Hebrews 10 says, now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, which means destruction, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. 
Now, come on, that's a great verse for us. We're not people who draw back or we shrink back. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be really received if I do. Oh, it's, we're so far gone. Our house is such a disaster. Where our family, our kids disrespect us. No, 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 no. We're not people who shrink back. We're people who believe and move to the saving of our soul. The last thing is Good. Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. An overcomer is somebody who fearlessly takes responsibility. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Again, I'll repeat what we were told in Deuteronomy. Choose life. Choose life. Choose this way of responsibility, the one that overcomes, because he'll inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So I bless everybody in the hearing of this today that you would be ministers in your homes, that you'd be leaders in your homes, and you would not fear or shrink back from the taking of godly responsibility. Go get them Abrahamic leaders. See you next week. All right. Adios.